Hello and welcome to this eighth edition of the Lakerside Chats. I'm very excited to bring you my latest guest. He is a co-founder of Lakers Outsiders. He hosts the Lakers Outsiders podcast. Great follow on Twitter as well. My guy, Gary Kester. Gary, how are you today, mate? I am doing great, man. How about yourself? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm excited because we finally got something positive to talk about in Lakerland and not just super negative all the time. It's great. Right? feels like it's been a while. It, it, it doesn't feel right. <laughs> <laughs> if there's no bitching about Palinka in the front office for too long, I feel like the earth will stop spinning. <laughs> <laughs> right? It feels like we're due for some bad news here. Well, it's just been positive, and uh, we can touch on the latest breaking news with Ron Adams potentially joining the Lakers of nothing else being interviewed, and I don't know what you think about that. I'd like to hear your opinion about that. Yeah, it's uh, it's very encouraging. Ron Adams is one of the more respected coaches uh, around the NBA, and he's kind of seen as a defensive mastermind. He has you know history, a pretty long history in the NBA as an assistant coach. Uh, he was kind of he was with the the Bulls back in the day when they were a good defensive team. He's been with the Warriors for the past few years. Uh, was also with the Thunder uh, as well. I think from 2008 to 2010, when they were kind of starting their ascension to uh, NBA uh, title contender. So um, he's he's very well respected. Like I said, one of the top assistant coaches in the league, and would be huge to to pair him with Frank Vogel uh, defensively for the Lakers. And it's that it's also that extra credibility you get. Frank Vogel by himself and maybe Jason Kidd. There's issues with Jason Kidd, as we well know. If you add Ron Adams, who's got Frank Vogel's back, you get LeBron to buy into Frank Vogel as well. If you, That's my opinion on it. Anyway, I don't know what you think about that, but I feel like there'd be a certain buy-in there from LeBron as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, everything the Lakers do, you know, I don't think they want to make everything revolve around LeBron, but I think it's important to keep him happy because he is your superstar. You kind of have to keep your your star guys happy with Davis and and LeBron and hopefully somebody in free agency. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think you want to assemble the best staff that you can and and hope that um, you know they're able to scheme and and you know really strategize and just make uh, make sure the team is prepared on a nightly basis. Absolutely, and. It honestly is refreshing because there's been that thing, especially on Twitter, people look at the Lakers being cheap, not wanting to invest. It's finally encouraging to see that they are going after the top guys and they are looking to invest a lot of money into this thing because at the end of the day, as much as people want to say the Celtics have more championships, the Lakers are the crown jewel of the NBA and it's finally happening that they're putting in the resources to prove that because it's been a while like we had the worst training staff in the nba for god knows how long as soon as gary vt retired it's, it's they're like that shouldn't be happening our analytics department was non-existent as well it's it shouldn't be happening for this bigger franchise but it's finally good to talk about something positive on that side of things anyway so yeah that's that's exactly. I, I have been extremely frustrated that the Lakers have all these financial resources to have the best people running the organization and in, in these important positions, and they just seem to be afraid to kind of branch out from the Laker family, and they want people they're comfortable with, which is fine. I mean, I think getting people that you trust is important, but at the same time, I think you have to have a combination of people that you trust and the best people in the business because you're the Lakers, and you know you're the like you said you're the crown jewel of the NBA. And people want to go there. Like people want to 
I mean, that's that's a lot of people's dreams growing up, like a lot of basketball fans, basketball players, coaches, whatever. You know, that's that's the dream. So there there's always going to be a lot of people that want to take those positions. The Lakers have just got to show that they're willing to to spend the money to get the right people in those spots. And what it shows to me is that we'll get onto the draft later, but the moves that Palinka's made, like trying to interview Ron Adams, finally hiring back Judy Sito as well, it mm-hmm. shows that there's a level of competence there that wasn't really on show when Magic Johnson was in charge of basketball ops, which while I still have my I still have huge reservations about Palinka himself, mm-hmm. it's good to see that there is a sense of competency there. He's not a stupid guy, which is good. You know. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. And I think that was the separation for me with Palinka and Magic, because I feel like Magic, obviously a Hall of Fame player, one of the greatest you know players of all time, and everything, and certainly earned so much in his career. Um, but it just felt like the job was kind of handed to him. And with Palinka, you know, Palinka is a guy that really worked his way into really the position he is. I mean, it helped that he obviously had a relationship. I mean, he's best friends with Kobe Bryant and all that. But he's, like you said, he's not a dumb guy. Like, he's very smart. He has a very strong educational background, you know, with with his law school background and everything, and um, really worked his way into kind of a super agent, um, you know, when he was an agent representing NBA players. And, uh, you know, that there was some some negative connotations with that, with obviously kind of the, the relationships, I think, that he's built with some other teams, uh, with their, their front office execs. And, uh, some some shady things maybe he's done in the past, but like I said, he's not he is a, he's a very smart guy at, at the very least. So now that Magic isn't running the show, it's going to fall on Polinka's shoulders. So it'll be really interesting to see kind of what direction he goes because it seems like even with the way they filled out kind of their undrafted free agent pool um, for their summer league team, it looks like they've emphasized shooting a lot, and um, so that's that's quite a change of pace than what we saw last off season. It definitely seems like you said a change of pace. It's just a complete paradigm shift. It's like basically what we saw last offseason was that was Magic Johnson's iteration of a Lakers team that he thought could work around LeBron because it's very obvious now that we're looking at it, Palinka t- it wants to have a very modern way of playing the NBA. And while uh-huh. he's done interviews that don't really like, he's tried to cover Magic Johnson as much as possible on the team building last year. You can definitely see there's been a huge shift in the way that they want to build a team around LeBron and now Anthony Davis, which is very positive. Touching on Anthony Davis, though, I know it's been about a week, which in NBA terms is like four years. (laughs) What did you make of the trade? Did you think we gave up a lot for him or did we think gave up too much is what I meant to say? Sorry. Yeah, I mean... It's it's really tough because we don't know exactly the discussions that are going on behind the scenes um, between like the Pelicans and the Celtics and the Pelicans and maybe other teams that are trying to get in on the action. But um, I've, I've seen a lot of people say that the Lakers lost the trade somehow, um, which doesn't make sense to me because they got a 26-year-old Anthony Davis uh, just entering his prime. So they're going to have <laughs> you know one of the probably top five or six players in the league entering his prime. I mean... even if you gave up the entire roster besides LeBron, I don't think you can consider that uh, a loss. I mean, the Lakers right now, in my mind, have the best one-two punch in the league now because of this trade. And it sucked that they had to give up Lonzo and Ingram both. I was hoping that they could hold on to one of those two. Uh, But they did did keep Kyle Kuzma, which, you know, Kuzma to me was probably their third best young piece. Um, 
but it, it was a win keeping him. Um, so I think the, the, the trade overall was a win. Um, I'm not overly worried about the draft picks they gave up because it, you know, they could be late first rounders if the Lakers continue to build around, uh, LeBron and Anthony Davis and then Anthony Davis in the future. Uh, so the picks aren't, aren't a big deal to me. I think they probably overpaid a little bit just because I don't think there were a lot of teams really lining up to, um, to really get in the bidding war with that, with knowing that Davis could potentially walk after one year. Um, but I think they probably overpaid a little bit, but I think the price wasn't too steep to, to where it'll cripple them. Um, but I think the, another dynamic to it is the, the optics of it. I think if a deal fell through again, like it did at the deadline, the optics would be really bad because they'd have to really repair those relationships with Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart. Um, and that'd be really, really tough to do. And they, I mean, fact of the matter is they got the deal done. They got their guy before, you know, with the Golden State injuries, I, I, I was sure another team was going to step up if the if the negotiations dragged out too far. So I credit Polinka for getting a deal done, even though they probably overpaid a little bit. But, you know, you get Anthony Davis in his prime next to LeBron James. So it's I think it's it's well worth it. I agree with you there. And like you said, I feel like it was an overpay, but I feel like it wasn't necessary overpay just to get the deal done. Mm-hmm. And if you're Rob Palinka, if including Josh Hart in a trade for Anthony Davis is what it takes, you do it. If there's mm-hmm. two pick swaps involved, it doesn't matter how the optics look or how much Brooklyn Nets part two it is, you still do it, you know, because it's nothing like that trade because we're not trading for three players of a combined age of like 115, you know, we're trading for a superstar in his prime, top five, like you said, in the NBA at the moment, perennial MVP candidate, especially if he's on a championship team. So it's a very exciting thing. And especially this is an interesting question as well. Do you think it makes us an instant title contender just having those two on the team? I think it definitely puts them in the, in the discussion. A lot is going to depend on how they fill out the rest of the roster because as we saw last year, adding LeBron wasn't enough. Because um, they, if I think if they would have added some more shooting, a little more defense around LeBron last year, it would have panned out a little differently. But injuries kind of derailed everything. I mean, the Lakers were certainly not a bad team uh, before all the injuries went down. I mean, they were fresh off of destroying Golden State on their home floor, a healthy Golden State team. Um, and the Lakers weren't even fully healthy in that game either. JaVale McGee was out uh, in that game as well. So uh, I think it definitely puts them in the discussion. I think the thing with the league right now is it's so wide open. I mean, I even if Kawhi goes back to the Raptors, I still think the East is kind of up for grabs. I think Milwaukee could still be really good. Uh, Philly could be really good if they are able to re-sign their free agents. And, um, you know, the West is wide open. We saw Portland get to the Western Conference Finals with with two stars, basically. I mean, Nurkic was was out for them, and and their one two punch was able to to get them to the Western Conference Finals. And LeBron and Anthony Davis is is better than CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard, and I love those two guys. Um, but I mean, I, I've seen a couple of people say, it, but the Lakers have two guys that legitimately could win MVP on their roster. So, and they've got cap space to build around it. So if they build the right way, I think. I mean, I think there's a very real chance that the Lakers come out of this offseason, if they do the right things, being the favorite to to come out of the West and represent the Western Conference in the finals. And the biggest thing is how much space we'll have in the summer. And I'm very certain that 
as regardless of what Woj wanted to report or anyone from ESPN, I'm sure that the Lakers knew about the ramifications of doing the trade on July the 6th because obviously if the Pelicans were looking to flip the pick like they did, everyone knew that it was going to get done July 6th and it was very mm. overstated, I think, as well about just how much quote-unquote turmoil, I used the air quotations again, the Lakers were in because like we've said previously, we I don't think that Rob Palinka is a stupid guy whatsoever. He must have knew, known about the ramifications of that deal straight away. So it's a very exciting time, and we'll touch on the cap space and stuff like that later on. But we've obviously had the draft on Thursday. We didn't have any picks in the first round. We bought a second-round pick, the 46 overall pick. And we got a very young gentleman, Taylor Horton Tucker. What do you make of that pick? I love the pick. I, I was really surprised that uh, the Horton Tucker really – I was surprised he didn't get picked from the first round, honestly. Um, he was he was a prospect I had kind of studied a little bit, um, you know, just for just for the sake of things. Uh, I just I really like looking at prospects, but he um, he was a very intriguing prospect because he's so young. But he, there's a lot to his game that you really like, and I know a lot of uh, really really smart minds, uh, smart draft minds, had him pegged as really like a late lottery talent. Um, and his potential is is very high. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be a little bit of a project that's gonna take some time. I mean, he's only 18 years old, and he's gonna be 18 when the season starts. So he's a very very young prospect. Um, but there's a lot to like about his game, especially defensively. I think defensively he can he can cover a number of positions uh, with just kind of his his frame. He's very well built for how young he is. He's got good length. He's got great length, actually, being a 6'4 with um, a wingspan of uh, 7'1", I believe, 7'0 or 7'1". Um, and he knows how to use it pretty well. So, And he's pretty shifty with the ball, and you know, I think his offensive game has a good foundation to where it can be built upon. And you know, in a couple of years, I think he could be a very, very solid player for the Lakers. And people are going to wonder exactly why he fell to 46. Oh, shout out Ben Rosales on Twitter. He was super high on Taylor Horton Tucker throughout the entire process. And if mm-hmm. you're a Lakers fan and you don't follow Ben Rosales on Twitter, what are you doing, first of all? That's a muscle <laughs> guy right there. But also, it's that f- I'd, it seemed like people were going against the trend of picking super young guys this, this draft. They were mm-hmm. going like the Phoenix Suns tanking the entire year to get... I know you're a North Carolina dude, but... <laughs> I feel like they reached a little bit there. I don't know what you think, but I feel like they reached a little bit there. And yeah, the- I, it was. It, it, I love Cameron Johnson as, as much as the next North Carolina fan, but I was shocked to see him go that high. And if you haven't seen the Kobe White reaction video to Cam Johnson getting drafted, <laughs> go watch it straight away. Pause the podcast, go watch it straight away. It's the greatest thing you'll see in the next couple of weeks, I guarantee it. But like we said... It seems like people weren't valuing these sort of guys, and especially with a big wingspan, I feel like he'll grow a little bit more as well because usually you don't see such a big discrepancy between wingspan and height. So I feel like he has some room to grow as well. And like you said, he can already guard multiple positions and he can carve out a niche already because obviously our rotation is so lackluster right now. Not lackluster, but very bare in the closet. I feel like he could guard out, grind out a niche in his first year of being a good defensive guy who can hit the free occasionally, get hot. His handles are crazy. Like, mm-hmm. if you see the way he creates space, 
he could easily create, especially as a project and getting better um, upon year on year, he could easily start to develop his own shot in the NBA, which would be huge, especially coming off the bench. Because as we've seen in the NBA, having bench scoring is so important. And a guy who can score off the dribble as well is crazy. Well, we saw that in the NBA Finals, right? How important still having a bench is. I know, you know, rotations get a little shorter in the playoffs and, you know, uh, coaches tend to ride kind of their big guns uh, as much as they can. But that's really, to me, I mean, besides the fact that the Raptors had Kawhi Leonard, who is just an all-world player, um, the the depth that the Raptors had was so important because that was a massive advantage that they had over Golden State. You know, you saw you saw those those role players really step up, where whereas Golden State didn't really have them. You know, so um, yeah, I mean, having that depth is is very very important, even though it's a superstar league. Um, but if you can get depth with uh, with your stars, that's that's how you compete for championships. And exactly, and I don't know what you make of the any of the undrafted guys. Who are your favorites there? Just throw a few names out for us. Yeah, I really like Norvell uh, out of out of Gonzaga. He's you know he's a guard that um, can really shoot, you know, um, and he he has some chops. Really, kind of creating his own shot a little bit. He's got a really nice, a pretty smooth step back. Um, something about left-handers. <laughs> left-handers <laughs> always look really smooth. Um, but I, you know, he's a guy that is is a pretty good sized guard and. Um, can can really create his own shot and can really shoot. So, and uh, like I said earlier, with this team that they filled out, they really emphasize shooting, and he's certainly no exception, uh, no exception to that. And you know, I'm curious to see how how he pans out because he obviously came from a very good program, Gonzaga, with uh, Mark Few as, as his coach. Um, so you can, I mean, you can obviously tell he's come from a, from a good coaching staff, and I'm curious to see how his game translates to the NBA because. He can uh, he can definitely shoot the ball, which is which is big. Exactly, and we've seen how important shooting is, especially around a LeBron James. So if you can find gems like that, especially undrafted guys, and if I'm correct, he signed on a two-way deal, so he's already signed mm-hmm. up. So we don't have to worry about potentially someone else signing him after a summer league. So that's that's also a good sign as well. Yeah, it's it's good to see that. It, what it seems like is the scouting system has got control of the draft again after last year's debacle. Because mm-hmm. uh, as much as I like Mo Wagner's game, pr- projected game, it's him as a person we can go into because there's been some certain tweets that he's liked. And, you know, he might be a very infectious personality for all we know, but I didn't think he was worthy of getting drafted 25th last year there especially with guys on the board still and you know yeah there were there were a number of guys that i liked ahead of ahead of him but um i could definitely see which th- there's been uh, it's been pretty heavily reported now at this point that uh the lakers scouting department had their eyes on somebody else they wanted omari spellman who went to atlanta uh he was out of villanova and you know he was a guy that i think a lot of people liked as well and magic kind of stepped in and you know took mo wagner and really uh just kind of bypass the whole process but um you know i i think there's a place in the league for mo i just i don't know if it's necessarily with the lakers obviously his shooting um and his ball handling is a big uh can can be important uh, but i think he still needs a couple years to really get his body uh nba ready i think he still has to add a lot of strength and 
I don't know how much the Lakers really want to wait around on guys too much. I think they're, if a you know a prospect here and there they might, but um, I just don't know if they'll want to um, to wait around for him. And and you know he he does count against the cap right right now, and they're trying to clear as much space as possible. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's he's dealt uh, to somebody else that's willing to just take him in. But um, it was an interesting pick. I don't think it's the worst pick in the world, but I think there were definitely better options at the time. Absolutely. And another undrafted player that I'm quite excited about, just from a shooting aspect, is Dakota Matthias, if that's mm-hmm. how you say his name properly. If you just want a guy who can shoot the hell out of the ball, this is your guy. He's unreal. I've watched a lot of video on him the past day or so. This guy can if if he's gonna carve out a niche in this NBA, it's that he'll get on he'll stick somewhere just because of his shooting. Mm-hmm. Unless we see like an Anthony Brown type of decline as soon as he enters the NBA. Yeah. And that's always the possibility. And it, uh, Anthony Brown has kind of opened my eyes a little bit when evaluating prospects uh, for their shooting is because, you know, sometimes it just doesn't translate to the NBA. And I think, you know, maybe with Anthony Brown, it was a case of uh, just gotten his head too much. You know, uh, he, he started off very poorly shooting the basketball and it just seemed like he could never recover from it. But um you know, and some guys don't translate maybe to the longer three-point line. I think for most guys, a pure shooter won't have too much problem, too many problems with that. Uh, but some guys, that's that is the case, and uh, so you never really know until uh, you know until it happens. But that's why I think a lot of a lot of teams really, or you've seen just kind of a lot of draft minds look at uh, free throw percentage. Free throw percentage seems to be a very good indicator now of guys that'll translate as shooters uh, at the next level. So um, it'll be curious to see what happens, but, you know, uh, it can either <laughs> he'll either be a good shooter or he won't. So we're going to find out. But it's 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 a low-cost uh, kind of avenue to go down. So got nothing really to lose by, by giving him a shot. And, yeah, it's like you said, that we've got nothing to lose by giving him a shot and if he works out great if not he was just an undrafted guy and as cutthroat as that seems it's the NBA it's you know you either make it or you don't and he'll go on and have a great career somewhere in Europe or in China or somewhere you know that's what usually happens with these guys Mm -hmm. so uh, coming out of the draft I've seen some reports that said we were big losers which I honestly don't get like I, I don't know how you can come out with a kid who's 18 years old and was unlike the top 20 for most draft Knicks, in, you know, and we get him at 46. I don't see how that's a big loss, you know, and we turned the four pick into Anthony Davis. So realistically, you're not going to get a player at four who's going to be as good as Anthony Davis. And as much as I like the Andre Hunter, I don't think that he'll be anywhere near as good as Anthony Davis. <laughs> There's probably one player in this in this draft class, maybe two, I guess, with John Morant, but probably one player that has a legit shot to ever be as good as Anthony Davis is is now or is going to be at the very peak of his game, and that was Zion Williamson, and only one team was going to get a crack at him. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the the fourth pick, and you know, everybody, it, it's always funny to me how the narr- the narrative shifts uh, as soon as the Lakers do something to kind of help flip it for people, I guess. It was like Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball were okay prospects, not that great, whatever. The Lakers shouldn't be trying to to hold on to them in a Davis trade. 
to as soon as they were traded, all of a sudden the Pelicans have a bright future because of these guys and they're really good young players and all this stuff. And it was the same thing with the fourth pick. Everybody said it's a three-player draft. After three, it's a big drop off. All of a sudden, the Hawks the fourth pick um, and take and take Hunter. It's it's this great pick and and all this stuff. So that's just kind of how it goes with the Lakers. The narrative always flips as soon as their possession is is somebody else's. So. So it is what it is, I guess. And that's a great segue to go on to the cap space and free agency. Um, obviously, we have Anthony Davis coming. Most likely, they're not. That, they, that deal will be done on the 6th of July, as soon as the moratorium opens. There's been a lot of conflicting reports. Uh, shout out. I don't remember exactly who it was, but it was a few hours before Woj tweeted that the Lakers were more likely than not have max cap space. Uh, I can't. I think it was David Lord. I think that's the person's right. name. I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's David Lord. It's come back to me now. So shout out to him because he was very adamant that the Lakers will absolutely have max space. Um, I don't know what you make of these reports that Kawhi won't probably won't give us a meeting. I feel like Kawhi is the hardest person to read of any NBA superstar ever. So the fact that we're getting reports that he's not going to take a meeting is crazy. I don't know what you think. I I Honestly, it's a gut feeling. And while it probably won't come out to be true, I feel like if LeBron can get Kawhi in a meeting, which I think that LeBron and the rest of the staff will, I feel like there's a chance that it could happen. I'm not saying a huge chance, but I also think that there is a chance it could definitely happen. I think the Lakers' chances at Kawhi are better than people are suggesting. But like you said, I don't think anybody really knows what Kawhi is doing. I don't even know if Kawhi knows what Kawhi is doing. You know, he's probably going to sit there and kind of hear everybody's pitch and and kind of go based on that. But I don't think anybody really has any strong insight to his thought process and his decision-making with this. I, you know, Kawhi's he's, he's a pretty quiet dude and very, uh, I don't want to say strange, just a very different kind of guy, um, very different from from most people. And I think I want to, th- maybe it's, it's uh, you know, blind faith or whatever, but I think the Lakers have a better chance at him than most people think. Um, you know, I mean, this is a year removed from all reports saying that Kawhi was hell-bent on being a Laker. Like, he was... That's where he wanted to go, and he had his mind made up. So, um, obviously, he had a great year with the Raptors, as great as it could. You know, he had a great year individually, and then they won the championship. Um, but, I mean, if, if he's serious serious about not only making max money, the Lakers can definitely get there for him. Um, and then him and, and Anthony Davis and LeBron together would just obliterate the rest of the league. I, You know, even if Golden State gets healthy – uh, maybe not next year or the year after. I still think that that trio probably probably gets it done against Golden State. But um, yeah, I I don't think anybody really knows. So that's why I'm not really buying into any of the reports. LeBron has been seemingly recruiting him for a full year, uh, so I think that's that's kind of my basis on why I think the Lakers have a better chance than uh, than people think. And LeBron has seemed very relaxed this off season. I think if he didn't know or wasn't confident in anybody coming that he'd be, he wouldn't be as relaxed as he's been. So um, I, I think we all have to wait until June 30th to really find out about Kawhi. But as of right now, I just don't think anybody really knows what he's doing. And it's that thing where 
By all accounts, LeBron and Kawhi are close. Even Woj, I think, said it at one point that they are close, regardless of what he wants to say about meetings and whatnot. And also, just going back to last year when he did request a trade out from San Antonio, playing with LeBron wasn't an issue. He wanted to play with LeBron. And one thing I did want to say is with, about LeBron and Kawhi, I don't know if you agree with this, is I honestly feel like LeBron would embrace Kawhi and Anthony Davis taking a bigger role than he is. Because I feel like LeBron, especially now with this injury that he had, he's realized his basketball mortality. And he realizes that the end could be closer than what he thinks. And having two so to three of the top five guys in the NBA, two of two of them being his teammates, I feel like he knows that that would prolong his career. And that would only be a good thing, because imagine having LeBron as like a second or third option on the team. That's crazy. It's, it's almost un, unheard of, right? You uh, like most, not most, but some nights he legitimately could be a third option. And that's just crazy to think about. But I also think, you know, it's pretty well documented at this point. Uh, and I don't mean to like say LeBron's a bad defender or anything, but I think he likes to coast defensively during the regular season now at this age and kind of preserve himself as much as he can. Um, and with Kawhi and Anthony Davis, you could certainly afford to have him do that. And especially if you do get a Ron Adams as your assistant coach with Frank Vogel, I would think that they could kind of scheme around that. Um, so the the fit I think would be perfect. And I, like you said, I think LeBron would be more than willing to take you know a little step back and let those guys kind of handle a pretty big load. And I think it would be very beneficial for the Lakers because Kawhi's been a very big believer in kind of resting star players during the regular season to have them ready for the playoffs. And if you have those three, I mean, the, that, that job comes very easy, you know, because you have two, two out of the three of them playing and just kind of maybe rotating them every so often on giving them rest days and whatnot, and you'd still win a ton of games. So... I think if you do get Kawhi, I mean, that's the dream scenario. And and like I said, if the Lakers have that trio, it's just so beneficial for so many reasons. And they would, to me, clearly, clearly be the favorites to win the NBA title next year. And my, I, I wouldn't say it doesn't, it's not that it doesn't matter who you have around those guys, but the margin for error becomes a lot higher if mm-hmm. you have those three. Because even if you do whiff on, let's say, a few of the guys you bring in on vet minimums, those three are so good that they'll hide their deficiencies as much as humanly possible. In my opinion, anyway, I might be wrong about that, but you could probably pluck guys out of retirement and put them to fill out the rest of the roster, and that roster with those three would still win a ton of games. So, uh, like you said, the margin of error kind of widens quite a bit, and I and I think, I mean, really it would get fairly easy for the Lakers to fill out the roster, even though, you know, I don't, well, I don't want to say easy, but easier uh, to get guys a minimum deals because I think anybody with common basketball knowledge would look at those three and say, you know, any free agent players like, Hey, if I want to win a title, I'm going to go take a minimum and I'm going to sign there and I'm going to, you know, we're almost uh, a lock to at least be in like the Western conference finals next year. Um, So I think they'd have guys lining up to take, uh, take a spot on that roster at a discount um, in terms of um, money. I can't wait till we re- till we reunite the banana boat at the Lakers. 
<laughs> we'll have Dwayne Wade and Carmelo coming out of retirement to play on that team. Just keep Chris Paul and his contract away from the Lakers and I'm good. You know what? Thank goodness that it's basically not humanly possible to trade for that deal. Right? That's that's another thing with the Davis trade is it prevents the Lakers from really having any kind of avenue to take on a Chris Paul deal like that. So that's another aspect of it. If there's a super crazy thing where he gets traded to like a a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Hawks and they want to buy him out so we can get him on a vet minimum deal. That's different. We can talk about that, but like nowhere near for 40 million per for the next three years. Right. He's still, I mean, he's still a quality NBA player. He's just certainly not worth his, I don't think he's worth his contract right now. And in a year or two, he's definitely not going to be worth 40 plus million dollars a season. And there's no way he's opting out of that 44 million player option that he's got in his final year. Yeah, no way. Nobody's <laughs> turning down 44 million dollars. <laughs> I've got a question for you, and I think this is a pretty pertinent one because, in my opinion, especially with Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson getting injured, I feel like that's taken to people who I'd absolutely give the max deal form. KD, I'd probably still give a max deal to just because it's KD. But at the same time, as Lakers fans, we've and people who report on the Lakers, like yourself, we've seen what an Achilles injury does to a superstar, and it's not nice. It yeah. it, it completely derails you because Kobe and that I know he was averaging forty six minutes a game for that like last thirty great game stretch, mm. but he was unreal that year. He I've never seen a superstar that just possessed to get his team to the playoffs, and. Yeah. If, and if he didn't get injured, God knows what happens because, like, he was on a tear and he was playing amazingly. And we've seen how much it derails a superstar. So at the same time, I'm not sure if I'd give a max to KD. So I say that to say this. If you don't get Kawhi, is there any players who you'd absolutely give the max for? I would still strongly consider giving a max to KD, but that would probably be, come after um, I would if I struck out with other max guys. Um, guys, I mean, guys, I would still consider obviously, you know, clay, I think clay will be fine in the long run, you know, ACL, ACL injury is a major injury, but, um, it's not as bad as an Achilles injury, especially cause clay's a little bit younger than, than Duran is. Um, so I, I think he'll be fine, but I also don't see him leaving golden state. Um, so, I mean, you got to consider really all the top, the top max guys, honestly, you know, Jimmy Butler, um, a lot of people are out on Kemba Walker, but I think even getting Kemba at his max rate wouldn't be the worst thing um, because I think him putting him in a role where he's playing off of LeBron and Anthony Davis, he would really thrive. I mean, he's his production has been insane playing with, quite frankly, just terrible supporting cast in Charlotte. You know, I honestly couldn't tell you who Kemba's best teammate has been over the course of his career. Um it's it's just been really really bad there. So really, I mean, all the the legit max guys, I think you know you you want to really consider. Um, I would still do just because, you know, you pair them with with the two that you have already, and you I think even with Jimmy Butler or or Kemba Walker or whoever, you're you're still the favorites to win the title next year. Absolutely, and I, th- I thought it was an interesting question because I've seen a lot of debate about it, especially on the Twitter timelines and stuff like that. 
where people might not necessarily want to give the max to people like a Jimmy Butler or a Kemba, even though I, I would personally. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think Kemba Walker's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd see what's going on with Kyrie because there's been a lot of reports, especially the past couple of days, where if it's Kyrie by himself, the Nets aren't seeming to be super willing to bring him in. And A, I, Kyrie's got a special place in my heart for derailing the Boston Celtics. He's great for that. You know. <laughs> He's an honorary Laker already. He, he deserves a statue outside Staples. That, that's all <laughs> I'm going to say. Um, well, at the same time, we've already seen how good Kyrie and LeBron are together. Mm-hmm. Off the court, maybe they had some friction, but on the court, it certainly didn't show at any point during their time. And if you add Anthony Davis to that free, to that big free instead of a Kevin Love, that's crazy. That, you know. Yeah. And there's been reports that Kyrie and, and Anthony Davis are friends. Like they, they have a pretty good relationship. So I think, you know, pairing him with LeBron, who I think he's kind of um, learned the hard way, I guess, how difficult life is without LeBron uh, as, as kind of a superstar and how much easier LeBron makes things. On, on his teammates, um, and you add Anthony Davis to that equation, you know, Kevin Love's a fantastic player, but Anthony Davis is quite a bit better than, than Kevin Love is, and I think, you know, those three together with a good coach that I think a lot of players respect in Frank Vogel, um, you know, I, I think Kyrie would be pretty happy. My one thing I've said about Kyrie that I guess is a minor concern for me because you never know all the circumstances that go into it, but he does seem to change his mind quite a bit. You know, the, the Cavs won the title and everything was great. And then, you know, before we knew it, he wanted to leave Cleveland and he really wanted to be traded. And then last summer he's telling, you know, the Celtics season ticket holders that he plans on resigning next year. And like, he was pretty definitive with that. And then fast forward to today and all of a sudden it seems like Boston has less than a 1% chance to keep him. So um, he does seem to change his mind quite a bit. And he's kind of a, kind of an, another one of those guys. that's just a little different, um, but talent wise, I mean, he's certainly worth max money because he's, he's an incredibly individually talented player. And I think obviously the, the history with LeBron James and, and um, his relationship with Anthony Davis would make him a good fit. Oh, absolutely. And, Another thing I want to say is with Kyrie, I just feel like he's different in the sense that he reminds me a lot of a person that I know, not in basketball. He can't stay in one place for too long. He needs to move. He needs something new in his life constantly just to keep him on ball. And like we said, for basketball fans, that might not be the greatest thing in the world, but there's nothing wrong with it either at the same time. So even if you can get three to four good years out of Kyrie with LeBron and Anthony Davis, I don't see that as a bad thing. I, you know, I feel like that's also, if you can't get Kawhi, I still feel like that's the strongest team in the NBA. And Yeah, absolutely. And we have such a glaring weakness at the point guard spot that I don't want filled with Rajon Rondo that at this point, give me Kyrie or Kemba Walker. <laughs> yeah, just I... I had enough of Rondo for, I mean, one year was enough for me. He had some, he had some moments of brilliance. I will give him that. I mean, the Boston game winner and how he played at times, especially that golden state Christmas day game. He was fantastic, but over the course of a season, yeah, just his really unwillingness to, to play defense and just do a number of things. 
uh, kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, but yeah, like you said, if you get Kyrie, that's, that's a major win and gives the Lakers two guys, two superstars at the same age. Um, I think Kyrie just turned 27 this year. Um, so Davis at 26 and Kyrie at 27 would be a hell of a pairing. And then you have LeBron, you know, along the ride for those couple of years as well. So. And, and I, I just, oh, sorry, just lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, with Kyrie, I, uh, sorry, it's going back to Rajon Rondo. With Rajon Rondo, I have no doubt that he was a great influence on the young guys. Mm-hmm. He seems like a great person, and it's not a slight on R- Rondo whatsoever. You know, as a person, I feel like he was brilliant, and he seemed to really like embrace when he broke his hand in the mentoring coaching role. And if mm-hmm. he was willing to take a very reduced role on the roster to come back, where he plays like eight to ten minutes a night, and he's there to basically help the team along and help LeBron along and help these guys mesh together, I'd be all for it. But I don't see Rondo being that type of person. I feel like if he's on a roster, he needs to play. Otherwise, he'll be a problem. Not so that- Yeah, I was just going to say, it's very rare that a player that used to be really, really good, like the player that he used to be back with you know, the Celtics, it's very rare that you eventually see a player like that take that kind of role. You know, I think it's tough for those guys to kind of accept reality um, that, you know, they're not the player they used to be and take, you know, a very minor role like that. Uh, so I think a player like him would, and I think we've seen it, he's played on some bad teams in recent years, you know, with with Dallas and and Sacramento and, and whatnot. Um, you know, he's... Um, yeah, I I just don't see him uh, taking uh, taking a role like that. But if he did, yeah, I I totally agree. And I, I don't think we have anything to worry about because with Luke Walton and Vlade, I, I have a feeling that Rondo w- will be very heavily pursued by the Kings. Mm. Uh, another question before we get onto the last topic, which is what would happen if we do strike out. There's two names that come to mind when there's talking about young guys who don't meet that higher cap, max cap space threshold. So that's D'Angelo Russell and Malcolm Brogdon. While we haven't heard anything about Brogdon to the Lakers per se, the D'Angelo Russell to the Lakers like train is starting to catch speed. And I blame you. I don't blame you, but you you, you (laughs) were the instigator for this. If you follow Gary on Twitter, you know what I mean, because he put it out there. And basically, ever since he put it out there, it's just been full steam ahead on reports and stuff like that. <laughs> so, sometimes that's all you got to do. Just put it out in the universe and just Levar let it go. LeVar Ball it. <laughs> <laughs> My question is, especially if Kyrie and another Max guy goes to Brooklyn, I think Brooklyn will more than likely renounce D'Angelo Russell's rights. Uh, If Malcolm Brogdon or D'Angelo were available at the same price, A, would you be willing to bring D'Angelo back to the Lakers? I feel like I I know the answer to that, but I just want to put it there. And B, would you rather have Brogdon or D'Angelo on that roster? That's a very, very good and very, very difficult question. Uh, yeah, anybody that follows me knows I would love to have D'Angelo back. Uh, I consider D'Angelo like my adopted son. <laughs> so uh, I, I've enjoyed watching him grow as a player and as a person, really, over the, the past few years. 
so I would greatly, greatly welcome him back. Uh, between him and Brogdon, if you gave him to me both uh, at the same price, it would depend on the situation, I guess. Um, with the Lakers, I would think with Brogdon, you're going to get probably a, a more complete player. Um, although, you know, I think D'Angelo is probably better overall, but he kind of specializes in certain areas, whereas Brogdon, I think, is a little more solid all around. You know, he gives you elite three-point shooting. Um, he's a good free-throw shooter as well, which the Lakers have really, <laughs> really needed the last few years. Um, but he's a good defender as well, and, you know, he, he can do a lot of things, and I think his fit next to LeBron and, and Anthony Davis would be really good. But I also feel the same about D'Angelo. You know, we looked at uh, D'Angelo was kind of the the main guy on that Nets team that went to the playoffs this past season. Him and, and Dinwiddie, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, were – kind of their one-two perimeter punch. And, that, you know, they had a good, a pretty good crop of players um, that got them there as well. But I think Russell could really, really thrive in that role as kind of um, a secondary creator playing off of LeBron and off of Anthony Davis and having that those lob targets. And, and he'd have a lot of space to operate with, with, you know, teams focusing on Davis and LeBron. So I don't think you could go wrong. I mean, I think a strong case could be made for either of them. I would probably lean towards Brogdon just because, like I said, you probably get um, a more all-around player in terms of defensively. Uh, Brogdon has a pretty big edge on on that side that, over D'Angelo. But at $20 million, I, I, I think you could probably – I mean, you'd probably be happy with either of them. I will say I think one edge D'Angelo also has is um, I, I'm pretty sure the Bucks will be willing to match offers. Um, whereas if D'Angelo becomes available, it's because the Nets probably renounce him and make him an unrestricted free agent, like we saw with Julius Randle last summer. Um, so that means that the you know if you sign a restricted free agent to an offer sheet, obviously you have to wait um, to see if that player's respective team uh, matches that offer. So it ties up a lot of your money, and you have to kind of sit and just wait. So D'Angelo would probably be an unrestricted free agent in that scenario, and that would be very beneficial to Lakers because they could, if they agreed on a deal for $20 million, say they free up that full $32 million price, they'd still have money to where they could go out and look for other guys to add along with them. So personal preference, it just depends on, on what it is for you. But either way, I think you'd be getting a really good player next to your two superstars. I. I probably am in the minority because, I, I, like you said, Brogdon is very solid, very dependable all round. I'd prefer D'Angelo. I don't know if that's my heart saying that or if it's my brain, but especially you've watched a lot of Brooklyn the past year. They were probably, mm-hmm. after the Lakers, they were probably my number one league pass team because yeah. I really enjoyed watching them. Them and Indiana, I really enjoyed watching both of those teams. D'Angelo has matured a lot in the way he plays basketball, the way he is as a leader at 22 years old. I know he's turning 23 soon, or he might have just turned 23. But the way he's matured as a leader is amazing. Mm. Uh, you, don't, you can't have enough of those guys in the NBA. And by all accounts, he still loves the LA. He wants to be back. He doesn't hold it against the Lakers personally as much as he held it against Magic Johnson, which is also a good sign. But at the same time, I, I'd, I'd love to have D'Angelo back. 
And again, like you said, if you can get an extra 10 to 12 million in cap space there, that's another solid starter that you can put alongside those three guys. And then you have Kuzma, then you have the room exception, then you have the veteran minimum deals like we've talked about, where we'll talk about players that could potentially fill that role. But again, at the same time, this is then looking like you're not just building for a team with LeBron. If you added D'Angelo Russell and an Anthony Davis and they keep on growing together as players, that's a solid future for when LeBron decides to either retire or leave, you know, and do whatever he wants to do. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of something that adds to the advantage of D'Angelo Russell over a guy like Malcolm Brogdon is Brogdon's going to be uh, 27 this season entering or not entering, but at the early start of or early stages of the season, he turns 27. Whereas D'Angelo just recently turned 23 years old. So, um, you know, and another thing that factors into, and I've, I've mentioned this on Twitter and, 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 and stuff like that, but the salary cap is going to increase. So if you can get D'Angelo Russell at 20 million, the cap, you know, is projected to be about 118 million next year. So by the time that he enters that third or fourth year of a four-year, say if it's, for example, a four-year $80 million deal, um, you know, you're looking at a guy that's going to take up probably 15% of your cap, you know, and, you know, he's he's eligible for a 25% max deal. Um, so if you get him entering his prime at 15% of the cap, I mean, that's a great, great deal um, because he's still probably three or four years from really um, entering his his prime years. Um, so that's another, that's another factor too, is he's quite a bit younger than, than Brogdon is. So it's, you're kind of banking on, uh, his development as a, as a player and he has a relationship with LeBron James, you know, we've kind of seen it, uh, social media. So, um, you know, I, I think LeBron respects him and D'Angelo respects, uh, LeBron as well. And so it's something to consider. The age thing is is very important. And like you said, I think it's important. Obviously, the Lakers are in win-now mode, which is kind of the argument I think people are using for a guy like Jimmy Butler um, because of his his age or even like an Al Horford. Um, you know, so the Lakers are obviously in win-now, but I think you still always have to have one eye on the future because I think if you don't, that's how you end up like the Lakers did in 2013 where – it, they went from what they thought was going to be a title contending year, um, and that obviously unraveled pretty, pretty quickly. Um, to, you know, Kobe goes down with an injury, and then they're looking at a long rebuild after that because they were always a win now team. So if you get a D'Angelo at 23, um, when Anthony Davis is hitting, you know, age 30, D'Angelo at the end of his contract would be turning 27 and really kind of in his prime. So you'd have the best of now and in the future because D'Angelo right now is, is a good player. I mean, he was an all-star, you know, I know everybody argues that it was kind of a technicality because Oladipo was injured or whatnot, but even being a fringe all-star at the age of 22, 23 years old is, is a hell of an accomplishment in the NBA. So, um, yeah, I, I think with, with his age too, that's another, um, strong benefactor to, to really wanting D'Angelo on the team. And I don't know what you think about him defensively. I feel like he's not as bad on... I don't think he's a world beater. I don't feel like he's ever going to be an elite defender. But at the same time, I don't feel like he's as bad as some people try and make him out to be either. And I know this might we might be talking about D'Angelo now and then in 10 days' time. There's no need to because he just signed a five-year, 125 million extension with the Brooklyn Nets. But... 
I don't know. I'd be very much on board with D'Angelo coming back, and it it would be weird because we traded D'Angelo to get cap space to then sign D'Angelo. That would be <laughs> pretty same, ironic. But at the same time, I don't know. With mistakes, because I, I still feel like trading away D'Angelo Russell at that time was a mistake, and I feel like we sold on D'Angelo at the lowest possible point. And even if you did want to trade him, that's fine because players get traded all the time. And like we talked about with Lonzo, with Ingram, it's, uh, they're not going to be ever as good as these top five, top seven guys. But at the mm. same time, D'Angelo Russell, like you just needed to watch him for like a 10, 15 game stretch like these other guys to see that these guys could legitimately be potential all-stars in the NBA. And I don't know what you think about that. Well, that's kind of the the thing I hate about that narrative is that players get better once they leave the Lakers. And it's like, no, it's the timing of when they're leaving the Lakers. You know, D'Angelo had a few years under his belt, and I think it's going to be the same thing with Ingram and Lonzo if they are able to uh, really start to stay healthy. And I don't really worry too much about their injuries because young players often get hurt early in their career. I mean, we've seen it. I mean, look at Philly. They had Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons both kind of take redshirt years because they got hurt. And you just see it with a lot of young guys. I mean, playing college basketball where you play 35 to 40 games and you get two or three days off in between just about every game is a lot different than playing a full 82-game season. Um, so I, I still believe in the future of, of Ingram and Lonzo, and even I think Josh Hart's going to be a really solid player um, for, for a while. You know, it's it's not players leaving the Lakers and becoming good. It's just the fact that the Lakers are trading them probably a little too early. Um, which I think was definitely the case with D'Angelo. And I feel like the the issue I had with that trade was you could kind of see the writing on the wall that Magic made that trade based on emotion and not necessarily because of what it, you know, it might've been what was best for the Lakers. I know it freed up cap space and everything, even though they already had an avenue to get a max slot for a guy like LeBron. But, um, you know, that that trade was made out of emotion, which really was what bugged me about it. Is that and Magic even admitted so on his little segment on first take that because of the incident with Nick Young, Magic knew he had to get D'Angelo out of there, which was incredibly frustrating. But yeah, I uh, I don't know. I I just I think D'Angelo's grown up a lot. The Lakers are very very different now, um, and I think that it could definitely work if they if they wanted to to run it back and try again. Cause like I said, both parties are very different than they were just a few years ago. So, um, it's something I'd, I'd love to see happen, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great backup option, but we'll see. We'll see. Free agency is, uh, who knows what's going to happen. It's a crazy beast, isn't it? And <laughs> just going back to magic Johnson a little bit. I know he said that it was primarily for the, uh, video that leaked with Nick Young. I've got a little bit of a theory about why he traded D'Angelo. And basically what happened was the Lakers chose the young players over Byron Scott, which led to Byron Scott being fired. Mm -hmm. I feel like there was still a bit of resentment there, especially from that side of it. I I could be spewing, like I said, this is all hypothetical and I have no actual inside information on that. But I, I definitely feel like there was a little bit of a resentment there from Magic Johnson on one of his buddies getting fired due to D'Angelo, basically. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I think that was kind of the interesting thing 
I mean, Magic kind of came in and said he was kind of excited to work with D'Angelo, but I couldn't help but think that, you know, Byron Scott is, is very, very close with Magic Johnson. They've been very close friends for a long time. And yeah, the Lakers prioritized their young players over Byron Scott. And, you know, when Magic came in, you know, Magic, there's been a lot of reports about Magic being uh, very volatile and, you know, I don't know, willing to change his mind very quickly or just having kind of those random outbursts. And I think Luke Walton learned that the hard way. So, um, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think that factored in somewhere. And like I said, that I think that deal was made more out of emotion than a basketball-minded uh, transaction. And while I do enjoy talking about past Lakers transgressions, we're on a positive vibe tonight. So <laughs> let's go back to talking about free agency. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say hypothetically we do strike out, which I, I don't see happening. I see at least one max or close to max guy wanting to sign with the Lakers, whether that be a Kawhi or a Jimmy Butler or an Al Horford or a D'Angelo Russell. I definitely see one person joining, you know. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, who are some people that you would target outside of that? Give me some point guard names because I'm very interested about the point guard situation. Yeah, the the main guy that you know I think a lot of people really like and uh, is is Pat Beverly. Um, he's a, he's a very solid player, and he's he's one of those guys that on another team you probably hate his guts uh, because he he runs his mouth a lot. He's a very emotional player. Uh, he's a very irritating kind of kind of guy, as Lonzo Ball learned very uh, quickly in his very first NBA game. Um, but he's a guy that you love to have on your team. You know, uh, he's by all accounts, a great teammate really supports his guys. And, and, um, I think he'd be a great fit as a guy that can shoot and defend. Um, I'm curious to see how he, his game ages, uh, cause he's starting to kind of hit those kind of years where he might start to see a decline. Um, that's one point guard I'd look at. Obviously we mentioned D'Angelo Russell, um, you know, as, as a good point guard option, but if you're looking at kind of the lower level guys, another guy I would keep an eye on is Ian Clark. Um, I've always, you know, kind of been a fan of his, and I think ever since he uh, left Golden State, he's kind of been forgotten about. You know, he's been uh, just kind of hidden away there in New Orleans. So, uh, but I think he's still a decent player, and I think he's a guy you could get for cheap. And you know, a, a player like him would be would be a pretty good option as well. Great shooter as well, which mm-hmm. we need a lot of. A name that I'd like to throw out just because I think he is a starting-level point guard in the NBA, is Darren Collison. Yes. I feel like that's a player that you could absolutely get on a cheaper deal as well. Maybe not the vet minimum or the room exception, but like I said, hypothetically, if we do strike out on a free agent, that's a guy you can get at $8 to $10 million a year that would more than be worth that deal, especially next yeah, to one absolutely. Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to see Alex Caruso back, not as a starter, I, I'd love to have him back as a backup point guard. I feel yeah, like I, that's why uh, when people mention bringing Rondo back, it's just I get I'm really curious about kind of their thinking on that because to me Caruso was far and away better than Rondo was last year, and I just think Caruso is obviously a guy that works hard on his game because he's gotten better over these these past couple years that he's been a member of the Lakers and just you know, worked his way up. And I think he's earned that, that backup point guard role. And I think he'd be a very quality backup point guard. Cause you know, especially defensively, he's a good defender. And I think, you know, the, the more of those guys you can have the, the better. And, 
you know, I think he'd be a good fit as a, as a backup point guard. And he's not the greatest shooter, but he's a decent enough shooter that he'd keep defenses respectable in that respect. Right. He's very athletic as well. Very, it's that thing where it's that you hear that very um, vanilla term of sneaky athletic. Yeah, makes no sense. He's had athletic careers in. Like, <laughs> I know he's going bald, and the big balder brand is going. But you know, like <laughs> at the same time, he's just an athletic guy, and that helps a lot. My comp to him is a more athletic Fred Van Vliet. That's the type of guy I see Caruso being, especially on a roster like we do need. And I know it's very vogue now to compare him to the Raptors, but I've always seen similarities in their game. And I really like Caruso. And you just needed to watch a couple of South Bay Laker games when he was playing last year to be like, why isn't this dude with the Lakers, the actual team? Like, he's more than good enough to play. Yeah, so, you watch a couple of those games and you'll quickly think, why is this guy playing in this league? Like, he's obviously too good for it. So, uh, yeah, I, I would be all for uh, Alex Crusoe being the Lakers' backup point guard next year. Absolutely. Give me some wing players that you target. Yeah, uh, another guy I, everybody has pointed out, and obviously I, I'm a big fan because he went to North Carolina, is uh, Danny Green. Uh, Danny Green, obviously, a lot of championship experience. has been, you know, with the, the Spurs during – uh, some of their their later glory years, um, you know, when they won the title in 2014 and they lost in the finals the year before and, uh, against LeBron's Miami Heat team. But um, got another ring this year with Toronto and, you know, came up big in a lot of moments for them. And, you know, just a very solid wing player that can defend and hit the three. Um, and like I said, has that championship experience. So that'd be, uh, be great to have. Um, another guy... Is it another former Laker, a Wayne Ellington, I think can be had for, for very cheap. And he's a very reliable three point shooter and, um, you know, would be, would be an ideal fit. Um, Kyle Corver is a guy that's out there that I think at this point would be almost surprising if he doesn't end up a Laker, because I think he's going to get bought out by the Memphis Grizzlies, um, after they traded, traded, uh, Mike Conley and the deal that, uh, Corver was a part of, um, and it just makes too much sense that he can go to LA. He can, you know, play on a contender. He can play with LeBron once again. Uh, so that's, you know, another option. A couple of guys I'll just throw out. Jeremy Lamb, I think, would be an interesting, interesting option. Uh, Al Farouk Aminu is kind of like a combo wing big that I think can defend pretty well and hit the occasional three. Um, he's had, you know, some some stretches where he's actually pretty good from three. And then Jeff Green. Jeff Green, I know a lot of people. Uh, may not be a fan of his, but I think he's better than people give him credit for. And I think he would be another interesting option that could play off of a couple superstars and, and be an effective role player. We saw it with Jeff Green when he played with LeBron that year. Mm -hmm. He seemed to mesh really well with him. And he's also a guy that because he's had a previously increased role in the NBA, he's not afraid of the spotlight. So if Mm -hmm. it came down to him shooting free, we saw it in game seven against Boston last year. He the second best player on that Cavs team after LeBron. He was very pivotal yeah. to them winning that game. Mm-hmm. Um, a player that I would love to see come back to the Lakers, it's former Laker, and it seems like we've been flirting with him coming back to the Lakers for like the past seven years, is Trevor Ariza. Yes. I feel like Ariza still has a lot to give, especially a team like us. A team where he wouldn't be expected to play 30 to 35 minutes a night, where you mm-hmm. cut his production down to 15 to 20 minutes. Again, it will help keep his career longer. And I feel like 
He's been pining for a move back to the Lakers. And at the same time, we've needed a player like Ariza for a while now. So I feel like it, that's just, again, another thing like with Korver, like you said, it's like a it's like a deal that would make two, it would make no sense if it didn't happen. That's that's where I'm on, but where, where I'm with Ariza. Mm-hmm. I, I could see Marcus Morris as well. Right. Potentially signing with the Lakers. We have that clutch. I don't like mentioning the clutch thing too much because at the same time, I don't care who, who who they're represented by. I look at these players by ability. Marcus Morris will give you three-point shooting. He's relentless. He's a really good defender. He works hard. All his teammates like him by all accounts. It's another player that you'd want in a locker room. So even discounting the whole clutch thing, while I think that would make things easier to sign him, I feel like that's still that should still be someone that we target in free agency anyway. Yeah, and guys like him and and guys like Pat Beverly, you know, really add the to the toughness factor of your team. You know, you want to be a physical team, and especially, I mean, a Vogel, a Frank Vogel team is going to want to be physical, especially defensively. And um, a guy like Marcus Morris, and like I said, like uh, like Pat Beverly. Um, really adds to your, your toughness factor. And, you know, I think the Lakers have let a couple guys like that go. I think Ingram was one of, one of those kind of tough players. And Julius Randle a couple years ago was was another one of those physically tough players. Um, so I think Morris definitely adds that aspect to your roster as well. Uh, give me some fours or fives that you've done to this roster. Yeah, another – it's funny. I keep looking at some uh, some former Lakers. But Ed Davis is a guy that's going to be a free agent and I think would be a quality big man off the bench um, or even maybe you know starting it at the five next to Davis if, if Davis really doesn't want to start at the five. Uh, you know, He's a quality shot blocker, can finish inside, and um, re- really understands his role. And I think it's important to have those kind of players that stay within themselves and don't try to do too much um, and try and branch out and do things that they're not necessarily good at. Um, and I feel like he can be had it for for a pretty cheap deal. I mean, he hasn't gotten like a massive contract anywhere um, ever since he left the Lakers. He was on, um, you know, I think he got the room exception last year. I think it was, I want to say like around a $4 million deal. Um, so he, I think he had for, for very cheap. Um, and I think he would probably be willing to sign with a contender. And DeAndre Jordan's another another name that I think is pretty interesting because there's a lot of a noise that he wants to go back to L.A., and not it doesn't necessarily have to be the Clippers, um, and I think if you put him even starting, and you know he doesn't have to play thirty plus minutes a night, uh, you put him next to Anthony Davis, um, and just kind of have those guys hovering around the basket. Uh, they're probably going to lock down the paint pretty effectively. So um, there's there's definitely some options out there. Uh, Brooke Lopez, I think, would be another another one again, another former Laker uh, because of his three point shooting. Uh, the the five discussion is very interesting because I think people really like Al Horford and I love Al Horford and I think his game is going to age pretty gracefully, um, but it sounds like he's got a big contract already in the works uh, from somebody. And those were all very good names. I agree with you. Uh, one player that you didn't mention who I really like and has played maybe not in the finals team, but on a team that's contended once while he was there was Dwayne Dedman. I like yes. Dwayne Edmund a lot. He's very energetic, very versatile. He starts to shoot as well a little bit. Like I don't know if people watch him in Atlanta, but he can shoot the free relatively well. And he yeah. provides the energy and the shot blocking. And again, I feel like he, he would be available at a relatively cheap deal. Um, yeah, I agree. And that, that would be 
sort of another deal that would be too good to be true and would be a really good fit. At this point, I wouldn't mind bringing JaVale back either. JaVale, for uh, his the pneumonia really derailed him, and we saw that. But at the start, before he got the pneumonia, and then as soon as he recovered properly from it, JaVale looked really good. And mm-hmm. it's a guy, again, who protects the paint, and Frank Vogel likes having two bigs that protect the paint, and he likes having physicality inside. So it's another you know player there that we definitely, it would help, it would help a lot. Because for all things, he doesn't like playing at the five a lot. So even though it's positionless now anyway, but, you know, mm-hmm. it would help out. It'd help out a lot. Is there any names at the four? Any stretch fours that you'd go after potentially? Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of a lot of guys out there. You know, I think, I mean, some of the guys that we've mentioned really as as the fives um, are guys that can shoot. And, you know, the, the four position is interesting to me because – there's a lot of talk about Anthony Davis not being overly willing to play the five. And if that's the case, I mean, you could go and get really a, a number of options as, as kind of a backup four because it won't matter that much. Cause I think, you know, it, if Anthony Davis is, you know, wants to play the four, I think you're looking at him and Kyle Kuzma kind of staggering that position anyways. Um, so you know, those, I mean, those, and the, both of those guys are stretch fours, right? They, they both have the ability to shoot, even though uh, Kuzma's three point shooting kind of took a step back this past season. So hopefully he can get back to what we saw his rookie year. Um, but I mean, there, there, there are a few guys out there, but th- me, like, that's the position, I guess, that I would value the, the least amount. Uh, just because, like I said, I think Anthony Davis and Kyle Kuzma are going to eat up the vast majority of those, those minutes at that position. So, um, and even LeBron can play some of the, you know, play the four as well. So, um, I'll be curious to see just kind of how they fill out the roster based around things like that. But, um, you know, it, like I said, you can get, I think a few bigs that can play both of those spots, but, um, I already think the Lakers probably at the four spot have, I mean, have most of the minutes already eaten up at the, at that position. I agree. I just wanted to hear that. Um, but at the same time, I feel like we have the strongest, probably the strongest four rotation in the entire NBA. Especially mm-hmm. if you look at AD, you look at Kuz, who'll probably spell at the three and the four. And you have LeBron as well, who'll play a few minutes here or there at the four as well. I Like I, like you said. And then some of the guys that we mentioned, like a Dwayne Dedman, like an Ed Davis, they can also fill in the four as well. They're not, they're not, they're not real centers as we would call them previously but the guys who are six nine six ten who play height a bit bigger than their height which yeah. will help a lot as well uh just wanted to say let's just wrap things up one year prediction right now we are july 6 who signed with the lakers oh man put me on the spot well <laughs> my my predictions uh tend to go horribly wrong <laughs> so hopefully i can get one right um really really tough i still feel like Kawhi stays with toronto at least for another year um i guess my prediction i'll say jimmy butler because there's been it seems like he'd be very interested in in playing next to LeBron and Anthony Davis and still getting a very, 
very big contract. Um, and uh, I still think the Lakers are going to get somebody. I don't know who. Like I said, my predictions are terrible. So Jimmy Butler will probably sign <laughs> a five-year max in uh, Philly now. But uh, yeah, it's I, I still think they're going to get somebody, somebody prominent, just because you're you're. I, I don't know too many guys are going to turn down max money in Los Angeles playing for the premier franchise and competing for a championship at the same time next to LeBron and Anthony Davis. So uh, I guess that'll be my prediction. Maybe it's safe, but it could honestly be any number of guys. Like that's the best thing about this agency period is that nobody really knows exactly what's going to happen. Maybe sans Kyrie. A lot of people think he's going to Brooklyn. Uh, But other than that, it's like nobody knows really much at all. But even that, like you said, with Kyrie, and we talked about it earlier, it's that thing where there's been a lot of, especially the past couple of days, there's been a few reports out there from reputable sources. We're not talking about like Scoop B or someone like that. It's a thing where Kyrie isn't as nailed onto the nets as it seemed it once was a few weeks back. Mm-hmm. So that would be my prediction. I don't know why. My gut's just telling me Kyrie to the Lakers seems like a thing that could absolutely happen. And I hope it does because I've hated the fact that Kyrie Irving played for Boston because he was one of my favorite players in the NBA. Having <laughs> to begrudgingly watch him do well in Boston was one of my lowlights as an NBA fan. But at the same time, you know, I'm glad he destroyed the Boston Celtics, like like we said previously statue already you know <laughs> jersey retired whatever you want he deserves it because like we said with jack like what well, jackie mcmullen was the biggest one where she said that basically Kyrie feeding information to anthony davis made anthony davis adamant that he wasn't going to play in boston and you know, that gave us a lot more leverage so I, I i think we see a Kyrie lebron ad partnership in la and I'm all here for it. And I hope my wouldn't one surprise. Pre- yeah, one wouldn't pre- surprise me at all. I just want to say a big thank you, man, for coming onto the pod. Um, just Absolutely. Give a shout out. Give a shout out to where people can find you, where they can interact, and stuff like that. Yeah, you can just follow me on Twitter uh, at Gary Kester, G A R Y K E S T E R. You can find a lot of stuff. Um, I have my own podcast uh, over at Lakers Outsiders, so you can follow them at, at LakersOutsiders.com or you can like them on Facebook or whatever. Um, and the podcast is up on basically any podcasting platform that you want to find. So that's where you'll find me uh, making probably terrible predictions and uh, commenting on free agency because uh, I'm counting down like the the hours and the minutes that it's that it's here. I'm so excited for June 30th. Absolutely, man. And it's been a while in the making this podcast. And like Lakers Outsiders is a great place to follow everything because you guys do a great job over there. Thank uh, you. Just, just wanted to say a big thank you again, man, for coming onto the podcast. Oh, it was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. I know we overrun like my podcast is usually about fifty minutes or so, but I'm really glad <laughs> we did this. I'm really, I'm really glad we overrun. Anyway, thanks for everyone for listening. If you can, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. Leave your feedback. Talk to me and Gary on Twitter because whatever opinion we have, we will absolutely try and validate it. And if we are wrong, we will admit that we're wrong. You know, think these things happen. We're not big-headed enough to... We're not Skip Baylesses or anyone like that. (laughs) But again, thanks for listening. Have a good night.